Hello guys, my name is Eric Giordano and I'm the Executive Director of the Wisconsin Institute for Public Policy and Service, otherwise known as WIPS. And I'm Dave Anderson, a Senior Policy Fellow here at WIPS, and I'd like to welcome all of you to this week's Two Bald Guys show on celebrating the women's suffrage centennial, what does the next 100 years hold? We've got three terrific guests coming up that we'll be introducing shortly, but Eric, why don't you tell our viewers a little bit about WIPS uh, to start us out? Okay, sure will. So WIPS is a unit of the University of Wisconsin system, founded in 2007 with a mission to educate and engage citizens, develop future leaders, and bring the resources of the university to address community identified needs. Eric, I think this is the point where I tell a hair joke, right? Is this is this, is this well, where I do it? I think this is where you attempt to tell a hair joke. Well, I'm, I'm hoping you're not. Joke. I'm hoping you're not going to cut me off like you did last week, and I. I didn't have a chance to share what I thought was one of the best jokes of our of our season so far. But anyway, did you hear about the chimpanzee in the Milwaukee County Zoo that actually knows um, how to work with clay? Have, have you heard about that, Eric? Uh, no, no, I haven't, Dave. Um, I had a chance to visit there just before the pandemic, and I couldn't believe it. There he was sitting in front of the potter's wheel, working with his clay, making a vase. It it was it was it was almost magical, Eric. You you could say that 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 chimpanzee was a real Harry Potter. Get it? Um, Harry Potter magical. So there you go. It's my slow clap, in case you're wondering. <laughs> nice job. Well, you know, it's a really actually it's amazing, Dave, that it took you a whole week to come up with that joke. Um, and you know, that reminds me, I overheard my spouse talking on the phone the other day to one of our children, and I quote, your father is busy preparing for his sophomoric dad humor show. And you know, it really took me aback when I heard that because it was hard to, to take in that after 30 years of marriage, my wife finally understands me. Um, so it was really moving. But in any case, it did raise a concern, Dave, and I hate to break this to you, but I'm not gonna be with you next week. I'm traveling to the West Coast and so I'll have to miss the two ball guys show. And, and clearly this is gonna raise all sorts of problems for you. For example, our two loyal viewers are likely to be reduced by half. For instance, my mother will not be watching because she doesn't like you. Um, but more important, who's gonna tolerate and respond affirmatively to your, to your jokes? Um, so I'm really concerned. Well, Eric, it is gonna be a hair raising experience for me, but uh, I think I'll be able to get through it. And I, I, I wish you safe travels next week. Uh, We'll miss you on the show, but we look forward to having you back the week after that. And by the way, Eric, if our viewers have a hair joke or a pun that they'd like to share or any comments on the show itself, uh, they can email us at info at whips.org. That's info at whips.org. Uh, during the live show, viewers can also make comments or pose questions to our guests uh, via the Facebook chat, chat section. Thanks, Dave. And, and uh, we'd be remiss not to remind our viewers that the show wouldn't be possible without our crack producer, chill hop DJ, and paid loyal viewer, Luke Rudolph, who also serves as our token representative of an attractive younger generation. Thank you so much, Luke. We're really glad that you're with us. Dave, I, I think we're ready to get to our topic, um, celebrating women's suffer the women's suffered centennial, and what does the next 100 years hold? Great. And we're actually going to be doing our show today in uh, two parts. Uh, first, talking with two of Wisconsin's former lieutenant governors, and then switching gears to talk about an exciting WIP speaker series uh, on the centennial of the ratification of the amendment that gave women the right to vote. Uh, so we'll be, uh, we'll be breaking our program down into two, uh, two sections today. 
So our first guest in segment one is Rebecca Clayfish. Uh, Rebecca Clayfish is the Jobs Ambassador for the Associated Builders and Contractors of Wisconsin, traveling the state to encourage more Wisconsin workers to choose well-paying jobs and construction trades. Um, Clayfish spent more much of 2019 in Washington, D.C., though, as the Executive Director of the Women's Suffrage Centennial Commission. Previously, Rebecca served as Lieutenant Governor of Wisconsin, where she championed workforce and economic development for eight years. She is well known for her efforts in fighting poverty, focusing on prison reentry reform, where she pushed for the placement of job centers at corrections facilities. I had the pleasure of working with Rebecca when I was at the Department of Workforce Development on a number of those, uh, a number of those initiatives. She helped create and chaired the Interagency Council on Homelessness, which produced Wisconsin's first action plan to end homelessness as we know it. Rebecca also co-chaired the governor's task force on opioids abuse and the task force on minority unemployment. Rebecca started the Governor's Small Business Summit, a symposium for small business owners to gain exclusive all-day access to state leaders and small and a small business academy, a free half-day seminar designed for minority and female potential entrepreneurs. She's the former chairman of the Republican Lieutenant Governors Association, and Rebecca is a member of the Town Bank and the Joseph Project boards of directors. So welcome, Rebecca. We're glad to have you on the show. Thanks so much, gentlemen. Uh, next, I'd like to introduce Barbara Lawton. Uh, Barbara Lawton served two terms as Lieutenant Governor of the state of Wisconsin. She was a the co-founder of Issue One and previously led Americans for Campaign Reform as President and CEO. Um, Barbara serves on the Lawrence University Board of Trustees uh, the advisory board to the Millennial Action Project uh, in DC, uh, Oxfam America's Sisters uh, on the Planet, and the Wisconsin Institute for Public Policy and Service uh, Board of Advisors, as well as on the Lawrence University um, Advisory Committee on Public Affairs. She re-engineered expectations for the office of the Lieutenant Governor with an entrepreneurial imagination and a sense of the imperative for public policy. Her signature was building and executing initiatives that engaged the nonprofit and private sectors in a shared vision for a healthy democracy. Her work today focuses on influencing strategic targeting of resources to buoy an ethical, engaged citizen, citizenry to hold higher expectations for our country and its leadership. Welcome, Lieutenant Governor Barbara Lawton. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, I get the pleasure of asking uh, the first question, and this is going to go to you, Lieutenant Governor Clayfish. Um, in addition to serving as Lieutenant Governor of Wisconsin, you spent, as Dave mentioned, uh, a, a good chunk of 2019 in Washington, D.C. as the Executive Director of the Women's Suffered Centennial Commission, leading the country's efforts to commemorate and educate America about the 100th anniversary of women earning the right to vote. So can you tell us a little bit about what has inspired and motivated your passion for women's issues? Sure. Um, I am a woman. So I suppose, guys, that would be the uh, driving force, the number one factor in that. Uh, but also, I'm raising two daughters, and I believe in women's equality. And so this job was one for uh, a great passion project for me. And so I was able to go to D.C. and set up the agency, not for the faint of heart, to set up a federal agency from scratch, but hired the staff and did the budget 
months and passed 40 projects through and then came home here to Wisconsin. But this is really exciting because this is the big week, right? Uh, we, on the 18th, got to celebrate and commemorate the 100th anniversary of the final states needed to ratify the 19th Amendment, Tennessee. And then, of course, Next week, we will celebrate the huge commemoration, the centennial of the 19th Amendment, which is when the Secretary of State actually received the paperwork and gave it the all clear that women could vote in the United States of America. And so this is an exciting week for all women because we get to celebrate something that I think sometimes uh, we in America take a little bit for granted which is our right to vote. And it's a tremendous honor and privilege that we get to do it. And I think this week we all can pause and uh, feel a little bit of gratitude about that. I mean, when you think that it's only been 100 years, that's pretty remarkable. I mean, I can tell you guys are passionate about it. Clearly you've torn your hair out thinking that women could only vote for the last century. That's, that's amazing to me. Wow. <laughs> Well, yeah, you've told told the the bald truth. Thank you. <laughs> oh my. Sorry. Well, <laughs> Lieutenant Governor Lawton, uh, you actually served as the first elected female Lieutenant Governor of Wisconsin. And while Lieutenant Governor, you initiated uh, Wisconsin Women Equals Prosperity, uh, led a multi-agency project to open new opportunities for minority and women-owned businesses, and led a critical task force on women and depression. A kind of a parallel question um, to the one uh, that Eric just asked. Uh, tell us about your passion for women's issues and what has motivated your efforts around uh, around these issues? <laughs> well, I'm a woman of a certain age and have lived with all of the um, restrictions, I guess, growing up on both ambition and reality for women. So, on, <clears throat> excuse me, on the first day that I took office and in my office, someone delivered to me the status of women in Wisconsin report, and we got a low C minus grade. And it really, it, it measured how we were doing in the economy and political participation in healthcare issues and education. So that was the genesis of the Wisconsin Women Equal Prosperity. And, <clears throat> and for me, a commitment to lead work to improve the status of women here. And what I found mildly amusing or maybe frustrating was that so many men, progressive men said to me, I'm not sure you should be doing this. You're going to get pigeonholed on women's issues. Women, women are more than half of the population and the issues that define our lives define the lives of family. And what we, I also realized then and even now is that if women don't lead it, it basically doesn't get done. It sounds like my family life. <laughs> so uh, this next question is for both of you. Um, and, and I'd like to kind of preface it by actually reading the 19th Amendment, if you don't mind. It's pretty short. Um, it says, the right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. Congress shall have the power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. So, so thinking about the 19th Amendment and the suffrage movement generally, and this is for both of you, what are one or two important things that you think we should be thinking about as we're contemplating this important milestone? 
I'll leap in just to follow through on what I was talking about, how important it is for women to lead the changes that we need to see to allow us to make our best contribution. That the women's vote in Wisconsin was a 75 plus year work of determined suffragists over multiple generations. And they were stymied by the legislature, male legislature and the governor multiple times. And the, our ratification of that national amendment came just a couple of years after they had shut down the most recent referendum two to one against it. So it was only when that legislature saw that it was inevitable that it became law. So my takeaway is that it was a fragile thing and that we have to continue to work to make sure that all women, because it was 50 years after that before women of color really had access to um, make their vote. I'll piggyback off of what the Lieutenant Governor said, and I think it was really important, Eric, that you actually read the amendment, because if you read the amendment, what is there in words is not what actually happens in deeds. And that's why an equality mindset is so important because just because a constitution says something, just because the, the laws indicate something or the code says something does not mean that that is the action that will actually happen on an everyday basis. And so the equality mindset needs to not only be written down but it also needs to be lived by the electorate and by our American culture on an everyday basis. Because Lieutenant Governor's right. Uh, the 19th Amendment may say, hey, all women get the right to vote, which is really great. We should all be celebrating, except there were a lot of women across the country who didn't actually see the rights to vote until many, many years later. And so it's right now, I, I would say countrywide, that we should and can be really reflective about what the law says and how we actually enact it. Because uh, she, she also brought up the idea of women's issues and how a man told her, oh, you're gonna get pigeonholed into working in women's issues. I would argue that uh, we're human beings in the same way any man is here in Wisconsin and the United States and all issues are indeed women's issues. We're 54% of the electorate. We are about 60% of those who are going to college today. We had four out of 10 American households and we make 85% of the consumer household decisions. And so every issue is a woman's issue and the type of mindset that the Lieutenant Governor experienced in her very first year in office is the type of mindset that you saw back in 1869 here in Wisconsin, when no joke, men gave women the right to vote on school issues because they decided that was a woman's issue as if women didn't care about everything else in their lives. And Rebecca, let's note that then after women got to vote or white women got to vote on school issues, they saw the threat of that and they rescinded that. <laughs> I know. Oh so so this is this is a perfect example of things that were 
enacted um, that, that didn't actually embody that equality mentality. Um, we, were, we were stripped of that right because uh, they determined you would have to print two sets of ballots. They were sued by a woman named Olympia Brown, the first pastor in all of Wisconsin who happened to be a woman. And they basically said, hey, you know, if you ask for the, the general ballot uh, because you think that all of these issues affect schools, we're just gonna go ahead and have to take all of it away from you women. So we're gonna go back you know, 25 years in history and, and put y'all there as opposed to the march toward equality. The good news is I think right now we're in a really good place, uh, but you gotta have that equality mindset in, in how we live as opposed to just what we write down in our constitution and in our laws. A lot of it has to do with how it is enacted and whether the law is actually carried out on an everyday basis. And Rebecca, another interesting part of Wisconsin's history was the first draft for our state constitution included, with the yes. push from suffragists, marital property rights. Yes. And that didn't happen for another hundred plus years. That's amazing. The, Lieutenant Governor, I don't know that we need the two ball guys. I feel like we got <laughs> the show. Yeah, um, I was, I was just gonna... the two of us going back and forth. So sorry, gentlemen. It was super fun. Yeah. Uh, I, but we're talking about women's equality. Here. Point taken. Well, and I and I feel like we need to offer some apologies. But in any case, Dave, <laughs> it wasn't you guys. It's OK. You weren't even alive and we weren't either. And so, you know, we, we understand the state of the nation. But I think it's really important to have that equality mindset to reflect on history, because if you don't reflect on history, then perhaps you do start to take stuff for granted. And you, you aren't filled with gratitude when you get to go in and put that I voted sticker on your lapel on election day. And I think the Lieutenant Governor and I um, feel the same. You know, we're really, um, we're in love with our right to vote and our, our equality and our opportunities. It's fantastic. We just need to make sure that people are executing what we see in our constitution and our laws every day because it's when those things are not executed that we start to strip away and claw back on equality, which is our right. It's our birthright here. Our constitution says so. Well, I will try to interject a question here for the two of you uh, uh, as well. Um, so as young women, let's say getting out of high school or getting out of college, when you thought about your futures, did you have any doubts that you could rise to become trailblading leader, leaders here in Wisconsin? In other words, did you imagine and feel fully empowered to become the strong leaders you are today? Yeah. Barbara or Rebecca? Oh, sure. I, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Uh, my mom owned a business for 10 years uh, when I was a girl and I was an employee of that business. Um, my dad was an envelope salesman. He taught me how to sell when I was 16 years old in Detroit, Michigan, going door to door selling envelopes. And so, absolutely. And that's how I'm raising my daughters, that they're as good as any boy. And, you know, they've been blessed to live in this amazing country in this incredible state. And so in order to make sure the world knows that they feel blessed, um, they got to go back and bless the world. 
Um, I didn't feel empowered. I came of age at a time when women, um, there was no notion of sexual harassment. We weren't giving any serious attention to the issue of violence against women. We couldn't have our own credit history. We couldn't have marital property. Teachers were still being fired for being pregnant and <clears throat> kicked out of the classroom. And girls basically were urged to be, if you wanted a profession, to be a nurse or a teacher so that you could follow your husband's work across, you know, it, where it took him. So there, and there weren't visible role models. And one of the things we learned with Wisconsin Women Equal Prosperity, the two biggest issues for women's success are affordable quality childcare and role models and mentors. Um, so no, it was, it was not something that I could see coming. You know, speaking of role models, um, who who were your role models, uh, male or female, as you were as you were growing up and, and starting your career professionally? I'm just kind of curious. I'll ask that to both of you. Nope, you're on mute, Barbara. Um, I guess it was the outspoken women around me who did important work in the community. They didn't necessarily hold office, um, but they encouraged, they were active and pushing um, better, better operations, better community operations for a larger populace. And I think maybe that was where you could start to see that, yeah, you could have a voice and you could make a difference. Mine's probably cheesy. Um, starts at home. My mom and dad, um, they were both really successful, very, very hard workers. And so I modeled work ethic off of what they did. And then when I started in news, I would say Jerry Taff, longtime Milwaukee TV anchor, and Sally Severson, longtime Milwaukee uh, meteorologist, both role models for me. And then politics, I love the policy work of Arthur Brooks and Robert Doerr, um, both, you know, very equality minded, very clever, uh, creative uh, policy solutions coming out of the American Enterprise Institute. I've always respected their work a lot. Eric, if you'll, you'll indulge me, just one more follow-up question. Um, what, what advice would the two of you have for young women today as they contemplate their futures, and particularly women who are contemplating a run for office or taking on important civic leadership roles. Uh, would that advice be any different for them? I would say that whether they're taking on a civic leadership or running for office or leadership within the private sector, that they need to understand that they're not coming of age in a gender neutral society. I, lots of women would like to believe that, but it's not true. And one of the things that we've discovered a very important study is that if women don't call out gender attacks, like a woman running for office being called strident, you know, there's a lot of um, ways that undercut our public confidence in women running for office. You need to call it out and call it for what it is or you will lose support. This was a very interesting study that was done, but that's true in the corporate world too. Um, when we see that there's still 14% of the um, boards of directors of uh, 
publicly held companies are women, only 14% and the progress has been glacial and doesn't really shift. Or 75% 75% of town boards have zero women on them. Um, we've sat for two decades at 27 high percent of women in the legislature. All of it requires that we need to be determined and attentive, just like those suffragists to keep moving the needle for women. Well, I think um, based on what the Lieutenant Governor said, the 14%, the 25%, the, the 27% number uh, speak to me, at least I'm sure to her too, about our need for a pipeline which means we need to start encouraging women young and we need to do it frequently. And some women need more encouragement than others. And so I think one of the things that we need to double down on is asking women to run for public office. There's a really wonderful study every year, um, Rutgers University updates it called Poised to Run. And it discusses in great data detail uh, the struggles women have in making that choice and pulling that trigger because it does come with some challenges. I'm, I'm not gonna lie to you. Uh, running for office is challenging um, for anybody in the era of social media, but to any woman considering it, I would say do it. Um, put on the armor of God first, but then by all means do it. And advice for all women, I'm gonna give you advice that uh, a woman I mentioned as one of my mentors gave me when I was trying to make the choice of whether I was going to stay in television news or leave and go be a stay-at-home mom. And she told me, you can have it all, you just can't have it all at once. And that was very empowering to me as a young mom facing a huge choice. Because I think, no offense guys, um, you all are very empowered to make choices, choices and choices every day. Um, and you don't feel a ton of guilt about making a choice. Um, you just see a decision and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm going this way. Um, Sometimes women deliberate over what direction to go for a really long time and which list of guilt is going to motivate them more. And Sally told me in that moment, basically, hey, listen, it's okay to make choices. You can have it all, uh, just not all at this time. So if you choose going to be at home with your daughter right now, if you want to come back to television. And if you choose staying in television, you know, you're, you're going to have your, your mother-in-law watch your daughter. And so it's okay to make choices. By all means, be empowered to make them. Your male colleagues do it all the time. And so we have to tell our, our peers and our female colleagues and our friends that it's okay to not have it all at once. Um, magazines and TV shows and reality shows and YouTube and TikTok will tell you that celebrities and, you know, famous politicians, they have it all. No, they don't. They don't. Um, and because, I think, go ahead. No, I was just going to say what I think is what you're describing is what I always called the season, <clears throat> the seasons of our lives. Mm -hmm. And they change. And one of the things that was very important as you took office was to see someone at a very high constitutional office who had school-aged children. 
we hadn't seen a woman do that before. And we go back to the importance of role models and mentors so that women can imagine themselves in those positions. Well, and you know that, Barb, I had to make a choice, right? I felt very, very led to run for public office, but the choice I was making was going to work for my Wisconsin family on an everyday basis. And, you know, sometimes, you know, Joel was picking up from the bus stop or my mom was picking up from the bus stop. That meant that I wasn't choosing to pick up my kids from the bus stop. Now, I think sometimes, you know, public servant jobs will allow you to do things that, you know, other jobs won't. Like in television, I was never home for holidays. You worked holidays. I mean, think about it. The news goes on on Christmas. It goes on on Easter. And that was a, a choice. I wanted to do that job. And so I wasn't home for those holidays. In public service, you know, I may not have been home for every pickup, but I was home for Christmas. So every, every job choice, uh, whether you're at home with your kids or whether you work a job in the traditional economy, every job, um, every choice, you know, is going to have some sort of ramification. You've just got to choose which ones you want at that moment, at that season of your life. Eric, you're on mute. <laughs> Thank you. It's been a great discussion. Really, really appreciate this. And, and it, you know, we didn't ask the question, but I think in some ways you've helped us to answer the question that we asked similarly about what would you tell young women? What would you also tell young men? And, and, and I would just say, you know, I know you're being respectful to us as the host, but there's absolutely no need to apologize. Uh, this is an education that I get in my home and that I appreciate you reinforcing. So thank you. Um, Dave, if, with permission, I'm going to kind of conflate or, or, or join the last two questions that we have together. Um, sure. So in Wisconsin, you know, one might say, well, look, we've got, we've had two female lieutenant governors, three actually, right? There was one appointed before you, but you were the two elected female uh, lieutenant governors. Our Supreme Court in Wisconsin is majority female. So on the one hand, it seems like we're blazing some trails. On the other hand, you know, when it comes to women's rights and roles in society, you've already pointed out, um, we're not maybe quite there yet. There's still some obstacles and hurdles that women face today. Just like to hear a little more about that from each of you, both in the positive and the negative sense. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Clayfish, you, you might want to start. I don't know. Oh, sure. Um, I, I think that we have made so much progress and we do have so many role models in the traditional economy, but also in public service, and that's outstanding. But I do think that, you know, we have some work yet to be done on our pipeline, on our bench, so to speak. And so we need to continue to ask women to run, to consider public office, public service. And I would argue that a lot of it starts on town board or school board. Uh, the government closest to the people is usually the most accountable to the people. And so that means if someone can corner you in the produce department, um, that is serious accountability. And sometimes that's challenging, but if we don't do it, who will? And so it's important that women consider running for public office. And you're right. Um, it does look like we've made a ton of progress. There are about 2,700 women legislators across the country, record number of women in the United States Congress. Look at our Supreme Court. I mean, Hagedorn clearly outnumbered. But um, 
there are still uh, a whole bunch of statistics that uh, bear on us, I would say. The ones cited by the Lieutenant Governor earlier, I think really are very important. And you know, Wisconsin still has not had a female governor. Barbara, you're on mute, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> um, Jesse Jack Hooper from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, who was a suffragist and who was the first president, I think, of our League of Women Voters, said that with the vote, we got a tool with all of the power of a steam shovel and we've used it like a teaspoon. And I would say that that is true, that women need to understand that we come back to we're a majority of the electorate, we're still the primary caretakers, but in the great majority of women and elderly. And there are so many public policy issues and issues that define our communities that can work better for families and allow us to make a stronger contribution if, if the systems around us are working. So we have a lot of work to do, and I believe that it takes women in office to lead it. And yes, it's time for a woman governor. Wow, uh, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much, uh, Lieutenant Governor Rebecca Clayfish, Lieutenant Governor Barbara Lawton. Um, we are so grateful for you taking the time to come onto our show to provide some perspective. We're also grateful for your public service and all the work that you've done and for being a role model for both men and women in the state of Wisconsin. So thank you for joining us. Thank you. Good to see you. Thanks. Good to see right. you guys. Thank you. Right. Take care. All right. And we'll ask our viewers to stay on because we've got another guest and another segment coming up. Dave, you want to talk about that? Absolutely. And for part two of our program today, uh, we're privileged to be welcoming a, a member of the WIP staff, uh, program manager Julie Bunzak. Uh, Julie is organizing a virtual series this fall celebrating the centennial of women's suffrage and its impact. So we look forward to her sharing some information with us about that. Um, I happened to see this week on LinkedIn that uh, Julie just celebrated her 14th year uh, at UW Stevens Point at Wausau and its, its previous name. Uh, and she has been a program manager at WIPS uh, since 2016. She was previously the coordinator for the lecture and fine arts program at UW Marathon County and was an adjunct professor of French for 10 years. She earned her bachelor's degree in communications, media studies and French at Marquette University and received a master's degree in teaching French as a second foreign language at the Ohio State University. So Julie, bienvenue. Did I say it right? Yeah, très bien. Wow, <laughs> great. Well, um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, uh, the way WIPS is recognizing the significant milestone uh, represented uh, by this uh, centennial that, uh, uh, as we, we heard in the last segment, uh, really has kind of is culminating right now. Um, and uh, WIPS has been putting together a virtual speaker series for later in the fall. You've been coordinating it. Um, and could you tell us a little bit about who our guests are going to be and kind of what the topics they're going to be addressing and how the whole series is going to work? Sure. So we're going to have a, a three-part virtual series. So we'll be inviting people to um, tune in on Zoom. And uh, for three evening events, the first event will be September 22nd which is going to actually be um, in conjunction with the Central Wisconsin Book Festival. This is the second time that WIPS has been able to collaborate with that series of events. 
And our guest that day is going to be author, historian, and journalist Rebecca Roberts, who wrote a book called Suffragists in Washington, D.C., the 1913 Parade and the Fight for the Vote. So she'll be giving us a whole historical perspective on that one really significant event in the beginning, or well, you know, I guess maybe close to the, the culmination of the of the suffragist movement. Uh, then on October 7th or 8th, we're still trying to nail down that date, we're going to have a panel of guests who are going to focus on the suffragist movement in Wisconsin. And you know, Wisconsin was the first state to ratify the 19th Amendment. So it's a really important issue in our state's history. And you've got a, a wonderful group of um, speakers lined up for that. The event will be moderated by uh, Wisconsin Public Television's Marissa Wojcik. And a welcome will be given by our First Lady, Kathy Evers, who is also the chair of the committee to celebrate the centennial here in Wisconsin. And panelists will uh, include Simone Munson, who is the Collections Development Coordinator for the Wisconsin Historical Society Library. And so she'll give kind of you know, an overall historical perspective. Uh, Wisconsin Supreme Court Justice Ann Walsh Bradley, who is a native of Richland Center, which is a really important location in the suffragist movement in the state of Wisconsin. It was the home of Ada James, who is a, one of the lead uh, suffragists in Wisconsin. And in fact, that entire family was really involved in, in that, in the movement. And so Anne will be speaking about that. And also Shannon Halsey, who is the president of the Stockbridge Buncee Band of Mohican Indians. And she's got a lot of passion for inspiring younger women to, to seek public office. And she'll also address the fact that as the Lieutenant Governors have mentioned in, you know, when, when the amendment was actually, you know, um, made into law, it was only for white women that they won that that run, won the right to vote, and there was still a long road ahead for women of color. Uh, and then our final event, which will happen sometime the week of October twelfth, we're going to kind of um, back up a little and have kind of a look at the the national perspective, the national observation of this anniversary. And again, we'll have Marissa Wojcik from Wisconsin Public Television, and she'll be having a conversation with Anna Lehman, who is the executive director of the National Women's Suffrage Centennial Commission. And there's been fantastic things happening all across the country over the last year and even before that to commemorate this anniversary, and they'll be discussing that. Thanks, Julie. That's that's awesome. We're looking forward to it. And I have kind of a question for you, if you don't mind, uh, about your own experience. I know you've been talking to a lot of people uh, as you've been organizing the show, getting uh, sorry, the series, getting it ready. Um, have there been one or two things that you've learned along the way about the ratification of the amendment or the suffragist movement generally that you didn't know previously, or something that really has been uh, eye-opening for you? Sure, I've been doing some research into the, the March of 1913 that Rebecca Roberts will be talking about on September 22nd. And it's just so fascinating to me how, you know, the difference a hundred years makes, if, if you will. But back then, they, that March was the kind of the first large demonstration that happened in our nation's capital. And it was five to 10,000 people, which nowadays sounds like not really a very big turnout. But when you think about in 1913, first of all, they had to, you know, the, the organizers of the, of the march of the movement had to organize a huge public relations campaign because they needed to get ads 
in newspapers all throughout the country in order to just inform women of the fact that this was happening. And then if women chose to attend, if you were coming, and, and they did get representation from, from all the states, if you're coming from you know, Oklahoma, you probably had to ride a train for two or three days just to get to Washington, DC. So these women really put quite a lot uh, into the effort just to, to show up for this, for this event. Another interesting anecdote is the fact that the police um, in Washington, DC refused to protect the women. They, re they refused to do their jobs. And it was known that the marchers were going to be subjected to violence, you know, and things might be thrown at them, they might be attacked. And the police just said that they were not going to have anything to do with it. So it actually was the Boy Scouts of, of that area around Washington, D.C., and the Quakers who took it upon themselves to protect these, these marchers. Uh, I just found that really interesting. And, and then, again, you know, talking about the fact that not... This movement was not necessarily welcoming of, of women of all colors. And there were you know, women of color who wanted to be part of the march. And this was a controversial topic within the movement is how to, how to include them or not. And a lot of states, because the women marched in delegations by state, and a lot of states welcomed women, you know, white women and women of color as well, but not all of them did. And, you know, um, a lot of the Southern states did not want women of color marching with their delegations. So those women were told that they could march at the back of the line. Uh, so obviously, you know, they have, again, a long road ahead of them to get their right to vote. Oh, it's well, fascinating. Yeah. yeah, thanks. Thanks for sharing those reflections. And it, it really goes to prove that uh, you know this just isn't a celebration; it's really an opportunity to learn, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, some of the interesting things that that you've learned along the way that we're all learning along the way uh, as we um, uh, celebrate this uh, this observance, I think, uh, I really give people a deeper appreciation of, of really how significant um, the women's right to vote is, and and the battle that 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 led to the the, the ratification of the amendment that uh, that allowed that. So if uh, listeners wanted to get more information on the speaker series or uh, where, where, where would they find that? And do they have to register for the programs in advance? What, how does that process work? Uh, we're not going to do registration in advance, but if you just visit our website, WIPS, WIPPS.org, we will have the information up there uh, with the links to Zoom and uh, yeah, and, and share. please feel free to share that information once, once it's out there. Fantastic. Thanks a lot, Julie. Really appreciate it. And uh, Dave, wow, we've come to the end of another episode. And um, wow. and I really actually appreciate your words, Dave, and, and really the words of Julie and, and the Lieutenant Governors, because this issue is not, you know, even though we're celebrating the right for women to vote, it really is an issue for all of us and a reminder of the importance of that enfranchisement that we hold as citizens and the right to vote, and especially in an election year, you know, let's hope that none of us take it for granted and that we really celebrate by actually doing what we're empowered to do, which is to vote. So again, thank you both. Um, apologies uh, once again to Dwayne The Rock Johnson. We definitely will get him on next week. So um, stay tuned for that. Dave, speaking of next week, what, what is on tap um, for our show? Well, of course, Eric, again, we're going to miss you being here, but we'll, uh, we'll carry on without you. But, uh, you know, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago that uh, WIPS research partners 
uh, was undertaking a study to gather perspectives of middle and high school students who were preparing to go back to school this fall. Well, we've completed that study and we're going to be privileged next week uh, to hear from students who participated in the study and are looking forward to asking them how they feel about their upcoming school year in this COVID-19 era. I will also be joined by a uh, school superintendent as well as the lead researcher on the project. So I think it's gonna be a really uh, interesting uh, discussion. So please join us uh, next Friday, August 28th for yet another exciting episode of, uh, of Two Ball Guys. Yeah, I'll be driving out west, but I'm hoping I can I can tune in on my phone. But in any case, Dave, um, you know you're going to be on your own next week, and thankfully, I know that when you're on the when the clips are down, uh, you will step up. So I appreciate that. And and Dave, in this time of trial caused by my absence, because I know it's going to be a big trial for you, just remember to keep a stiff upper clip. Oh my gosh, Eric. You know, I and I, I really, I, I've got to set the record straight here. And I really want to give credit where credit is due. My Harry Potter joke from earlier in the show, do you remember the Harry Potter? Oh yeah, I'll, I'll never I, forget it. Remember that? <laughs> that? That was actually shared with me by Dan Rossmiller of the Wisconsin School Boards Association when we were lighting up our guests for our show uh, two weeks ago. And I really want to be upfront about that, Eric, uh, so that... Um, uh, I, I want to avoid the appearance of plagiarism, especially since WIPS is associated with the University of Wisconsin system. Um, I, I just don't want to get us into a, a, a hairy situation. So I thought I would, uh, I would just make that disclaimer uh, up front. With that, thanks everybody for tuning in. We appreciate it. Yeah, we'll see you next week. <laughs>